0: Morning. If you have a Bible, grab it, meet me in John chapter 5. John chapter 5 is where we're going to be uh, today. Uh, man, those of you joining us online, honored that you were connect this way. Those of us in person, the same. Uh, man, super like shout out to uh, the team and way to pivot. And so it's supposed to be an acoustic Sunday, uh, but that didn't happen uh, clearly this Sunday. And so, way to pivot, guys. I appreciate you guys still leading us into. Um, worship and to encounter God week three of the series tomorrow is a Monday uh, tomorrow's a Monday where we are seeking to through like our habits through our hearts to connect the dots between Christian faith and everyday life tomorrow's a Monday so that we would walk more faithfully more fruitfully and experience The love of God in more deep ways. And so what we said from week one is that the soil for every sermon um, to grow out of, every call to action to grow out of, the soil for that is that you and I are loved by God in Christ. Right, that we would just continue to just beat that drum and just like drive that truth into the depths of our hearts. You and I are loved by God in Christ, and that would be the soil for all the habits, all of the heart work. There's themes throughout the course of this series, and the theme that we've been looking at is the theme of community, specifically finding, experiencing meaningful community as a whole adult human. Right, we know there's unique challenges of community and adulthood. And, and last week we painted a picture of what is it? What, what is this type of community we're even after? Like to experience a welcoming community. And we, we close that time with, with some things that we need to be. Friend, like some of us need to be friend being okay with being misunderstood if we're going to actually experience meaningful uh, community. And so we looked at the community as a whole, but this week we're really going to dive into the individual dynamics of community, specifically understanding that we actually bring our whole selves to community, whether we want to or not. And within our whole selves, All of us, all of us, every single one of us has within our stories, traces of pain and experiences of brokenness, which then in turn create this sustained broken dynamic of our lives. And we bring that into community. And it affects the way that we experience community, and it affects the way that the community grows. And so what does it look like to deal with that in a very unique, intentional way? I, I shared this um, last service, and I think I felt it even throughout the course of the message, but I've really just been working through, man, what is the tone of today? All week, Lord, what is the tone? I know this is the text. I know it's John 5, but, man, I'm, I'm wrestling with the tone. Is, is, there, is there a rebuke here? I feel like there might be. Is there tenderness here? Obviously, always, but, like, man, what is the tone? And honestly, I don't, I don't know yet. We'll, we'll see at the end of what the tone that God wants us to take with this is. But this this text, man, there's a tension here. This text showcases the glory and mercy of God on the backdrop of human frailty. Um, Deepak um, Raju, who pastor, uh, therapist, he says this. I think it's helpful to start here. He says, life in a fallen world is touched by misery. For some, it's submerged in it. Everybody, everywhere, as we live, we experience life touched by misery. And for some of us, that experience is so thick, so engulfing, that it's not merely a touch of misery. It feels like we're drowning in it. Whether it's personal brokenness, personal sin, there's a difference, there's a distinction, or the brokenness and sin of other people. What else needs to be said? is pain and brokenness are not created equal or experienced equally. But there's a variety of experiences that fill this room, which is part of the reason of the tension with the tone, because within a variety of experiences, God wants to meet with each and every one of us uniquely to produce specific Healing and wholeness and transformation—not general, specific to you and where you are—and the end game is that by the end of our time together, that there would be. Um, we, we'll, we'll, me, and we were talking earlier, uh, and he just gave me the words as he was shepherding me. He, that there would be the gift of perspective, that we would see things differently through the eyes of the Lord, and not just a gift of perspective, but a heart of great humility and courageous expectancy that God can. And we would seek him in light of that. God can, that God would step in to our lives and our situations, whatever they may be, particularly as it relates to us living in community well. John 5 is where we turn for that. Uh, The flow of our time through John 5 is... Really, because of the nature of the passage, we are going to have a synopsis on the supernatural. Um, from a synopsis on the supernatural, we're going to move to Jesus' response or Jesus' questions to this man. And then we're going to look at this man's response to Jesus before closing with some application and consideration for community. So that would be the flow of our time. A synopsis on the supernatural. Jesus' words to this man. This man's response to Jesus, and in closing with some application or consideration for life and community. Read with me, and then we'll take it uh, bit by bit. Verse 1, chapter 5 reads like this After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem by the sheep gate. In Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled. Blind, lame, and paralyzed. Uh, one man was there who has been disabled for thirty-eight years. Thirty-eight years—that is older than some of you guys in this room. A vast majority of you, actually, a vast majority of the people tuning in online. I think the average age of our church is like twenty-six. Thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized, that scared someone. 26? Man, why am I still Please don't go. If you're older than that, please, in Jesus' name. Um, when Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Some translations, Do you want to get healed? Others translations, Do you want to be made whole? Verse seven, sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. It's emphatic in the Greek. It was Sabbath. Sabbath. Drawing our attention there. It was Sabbath. And and so the Jews said to the man, who had been healed? This is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He, He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk? They asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was. Because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Dry snitching, all right? Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. To get to work. Uh, I, I love the, the details here. They do it for me and I, I pray I don't get lost in all of them, but there's they're significant. This text drips intentionality. Really, that's the entire gospel of John. It's is scriptures, yes, but there's certain passages, there's certain books in the Bible that just have this unique flair to them. The gospel of John has this unique dripping of intentionality. So you look at the end of the gospel of John and John says that, All the stuff Jesus did, Jesus' words to us, Jesus' miracles, they can't be captured and communicated in all of the libraries known to man. He's done so much. He said so much that it would take eons and libraries upon libraries to document all of it and all of its implications. How? these things were written. They were captured and communicated for you that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and by believing have life in his name. There is an intentionality that just drips all throughout the Gospel of John and just shows up in this passage as well. The intentionality to tense. The intentionality to the details of time. 38 years. This book Is rich. Now, often this story, because of the weight of it and some of the the details here, I feel like, man, its humanity gets lost. And so the emphatic, this was the Sabbath. And, and, and John's intentional way of writing includes this to let us know that the inciting incident for the persecution and then the subsequent crucifixion of Jesus was his Sabbath keeping, which didn't take place, and his claims of deity. He claimed to be the father. So John included in this, and, and and so we have a way of anytime the Pharisees are involved to direct our intention towards them, and I get it, we should indict them. 38 years, this man is experiencing physical impairment. God changes that in an instant, and they're not celebrating. They're able to understand that he was healed. They're not celebrating, rather... There's no wonder, there's no awe, there's only accusation. That's an indicting. thing. We should indict that. However, that tension should not usurp the humanity of this story. Guys, and just in general, I am so tired of the way that we usurp the humanity of the Bible. Step into the shoes of this man. 38 years of pain, 38 years of having to fix your lips to ask for help with, quote, unquote, what is the simple things of life, like getting up and walking. 38 years of history that says God either doesn't care about you or he doesn't exist at all. Thirty-eight years of wondering and living and grabbing after whatever folklore fix your and in an instant got the humanity of this. Yeah. It's filled with emotion. It's filled with beauty. Would that not be lost on us? Now, the nature of this story requires a synopsis of the supernatural, which is where we begin. And the reason being is because this is a supernatural moment, first and foremost, okay? This is, let's not, there's some stuff we can learn from this moment, but it is supernatural. Man who was lame for 38 years, disabled, now walking. That is supernatural. And what we have to understand as Christians, and not just Christians, but all people, particularly Christians, there is an interesting way in which we interact with the supernatural. We interact with the supernatural casually, Conveniently, and sometimes in a very distorted way. Now, the two ways I find that we tend to interact with the supernatural is the first is, one, we strip the scriptures of the supernatural. So we strip the supernatural from the scriptures and we strip the supernatural from life. In other words, we reduce the scriptures to guiding principles, morality, rather This showcasing of a supernatural God telling of himself on the stories of humanity. And so we we make the scriptures and we make Christianity and we make God just like everything else. Unfortunately for us, Christianity is a very supernatural religion. The very existence of God is supernatural. Supernatural. To say that there is a being not bound by metaphysical realities, that's supernatural. To then say that this being not bound by metaphysical realities is actually knowable, that's supernatural. To then say that this being not bound by metaphysical realities is not only knowable but communicates about him, that's supernatural. Christianity is very supernatural we can't remove the supernatural from Christianity because the supernatural makes us uncomfortable. In fact, this is what, what, what God says. God's words to us. <laughs> Jeremiah 32, 27. God interacted with Jeremiah. He says, look, I'm the Lord. I am the Lord. The God over every creature. Is anything too difficult for me? You see that? He just asserted. His supremacy and the reality that he's supernatural, and he says, If I am who I am, what can't I do? But the stripping of the supernatural occurs because if we could explain away the supernatural, then we don't really have to be accountable to a supreme being. I explain away the supernatural, and what I'm doing is I am asserting control and removing it from God. But that's not the only way we interact with the supernatural. There's not just the stripping of the supernatural. There's the normalizing of the supernatural. Listen, all of us believe in miracles when it's convenient. And Christians, particularly, we believe in the supernatural when we need it, especially when we need a word from God. How many of you have, you've just been in a moment of desperation? And desperation, man, it's a door. Sometimes it can open up the possibilities of some stuff that's great. Sometimes it can open up the possibilities of tremendous pain. Desperation is just a door. But how many of us have been just in a situation of desperation, and we just need something, the Lord? We need to hear the word from the Lord. So we grab open the Bible, or we scroll, and wherever we turn, wherever it lands, we're like, that's what God is speaking to me today. And so you're like, you, by mercy, by chance, <laughs> Flip it open, scroll down, Isaiah 41. You're like, yes, this is a great word from the Lord. Fear not, I am with you. Don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. I am your God. Yes, God, I needed that. And some of you flip it open, you scroll down, and then you land in Numbers 33, 33. And you're like, they journeyed from Horhagadad and camped in Jobata. Okay, God. So what you're trying to tell me is this is a season of Hor and I need to get out of this seat and move to You've done it. So we believe it is supernatural, but it's convenient, yes? But then we have a way of normalizing it. We make the supernatural normal, which by definition no longer makes it supernatural. For something to be supernatural means that it's non-normative. It breaks the normative laws of reality and metaphysics. As supernatural as the scriptures are, there's a whole lot of mundane, ordinary, natural things happening, even in the midst of supernatural occurrences. 2 Timothy 4.20. Paul has been healing folk with words and touches and his shadow, healing folk. Writes this letter to Timothy, and here's what he leaves at the end. He says this, Erastus has remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Now think about that. There's, there's way here. Trophimus has been traveling with Paul at this time for at least seven years that we know of. So there's intimacy there with him. So, so, the man who he is healing people with a shadow is going to leave this man sick. Come on natural normative in the midst of supernatural realities there 's more paul again uh, Philippians two twenty seven Indeed, he's talking about um, a in, Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. He was serving on your behalf and he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only him but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. I cared for him deeply. He was dying and it was burdened in me. Yet I couldn't heal him. The stories of the scripture are filled with both. And we have the opportunity to resist the tension of stripping the scriptures of their supernatural realities or normalizing them to the point where we don't understand that God wants to engage with us in everyday, mundane, beautiful ways. And what the scriptures invite us to do is to live in the tension of wisdom rooted in the fear of God. So you you take David. David, there's a story in 2 Samuel 12. So so David's story, David has committed some gross sin. He committed adultery, he committed abuse, he committed murder. He got a man murdered to hide his own sin. So he takes Bathsheba as his wife. They have a child. Child is born. Nathan, prophet from the Lord, comes in, speaks to David, tells him this parable. David's emotions are starting to be gripped from the inside. Yo, that's wicked. Whoever did that needs to pay. Who is that man? Nathan is like, that's you. Because that's what grace does. Grace doesn't lie. All right? That's not not grace. Grace looks at pain and brokenness and difficulty at sin and tells the truth. Okay? David, that's you. And then he starts to talk about the consequences of David's sin. And one of those consequences, unfortunately, is that this son that was born was going to die. And so for seven days, there's some stories in the Bible that just kind of just break my heart. They make me very uncomfortable. This is one of them. And so for seven days, David is fasting and praying. He is not eating a thing. He is on the floor. He is seeking God. He is like, God, step in and do a work for my son. Please forgive me. Would you heal him? And after seven days, his son dies. And so the people, his servants, his attendants, they're like, yo, man, he, he didn't eat. He was crying. Man, if we tell him what happened, who knows what will happen. David overhears this and he assumes, he, he guesses that his son is passed. So he, he, he looks at them, he asks them, he says, is, is my son dead? And they said, yes. You know what David does? He gets up, he goes and eats, and he wipes his face. And they're confused. And so they said, David, what's going on? And he said, Oh man, he said, While my son was there, as he lived, I had to seek the Lord. I had to pray. I had to fast. Because who knows if God would step in? He can, He's able. He plucked me from the sheepfold. I've seen His power in tremendous ways. Who knows? But since he's died, God obviously has said no. And so I can't bring him back. All I'm going to do is go be with him one day. But that's the tension. You see that? It's wisdom rooted in the fear of the Lord. God, you can, and I'm going to seek you as such. But when it becomes clear that you won't, I'm still going to live in light of who you are. I'm not going to disregard the relationship. I'm going to walk with you. That's the tension of the supernatural and the natural, which means that we don't put God in a box or take him out of the boxes that he puts himself in. And God has chosen to operate in particular ways as he pleases, he's free. The supernatural just drips all over this text. The reason we start there is because Again, obvious, man, lame, now healed, made whole. But while there's a clear physical impairment happening, there's other things at work because Jesus's healing of people was not just for the physical stuff, although it was, amen, and we celebrate that. But as Matthew 8 communicates, which is a callback to Isaiah 53, it says this, He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. That these physical demonstrations of power always pointed to a spiritual reality that God was inviting people into. We know this to be true as well because at the end of this story, after this man is dry snitching on Jesus... Like Jesus says, hey, by the way, don't sin lest something else befall you. Now, what Jesus is not doing is attaching his current circumstance to present sin. That's not what he's doing. We see that in John 9 as well. Sometimes stuff just happens because we live in a world tainted and touched by misery. But what he is doing is he's elevating something far greater than physical brokenness, spiritual lostness. And he says, that should concern you more than what impaired you physically. And so there's, there's a lot here that we can learn. Let's dive into Jesus's words to this man. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he'd always been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Do you wanna be healed? Do you wanna be made whole? It's a very straightforward question that is just filled with tenderness, with mercy, with power, with truth. Do you want to be made well? Now, when God asks us questions, it's not to get information. It's to give information. When God asks us questions, it's not to find out what's going on. It's to expose what's going on. And so Anytime we see God's words to us, whether it's audible or through the word, what we know is that he is literally putting a window in front of us and a mirror in front of us. A friend of mine, a guy by the name of John, we we has a, a podcast right now with Keith called Windows and Mirrors. It's a dope podcast, and it's just understanding the word of God. God's words are windows and mirrors where he is giving information and exposing and so in this situation, what God, the information that he is trying to give is a more excellent, accurate picture of who he is. And what he is trying to expose is the the, the distortions that this man has in relation to who God is and some other stuff that's happening in his heart. That's going to come with this man's response. But look at the window. Think about the story. Think about, think about what's happening here. There is a folklore that exists that says Once, 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 you don't know when it happens, but an angel of the Lord would come and stir the waters and whoever got in the water first was healed of whatever. Guys, I see that and I see Haitian tea. I see ginger ale and Vicks vapor rub. I see those magnetic bracelets that people wear to just kind of fix their body. I see crystals. I see all the stuff that we just kind of put, Haitian tea, no shot. I see all the stuff that we put together which is functional folklore. Now, some of it is dipped in truth, but it's truth out of balance and it becomes this folklore that entraps people. Think about the picture of God you have to have regarding this. That essentially... You have all of these people who are hurting and wounded and tired and frustrated. They're from short amount of times, they're from long amount of times, 38 years in need of mercy. And the only way that they're going to receive mercy from God is if they are strong enough, quick enough, or they have the resources to get to the water first. Think about that. In other words, mercy isn't a gift. Mercy is something that you earn. Mercy is the byproduct of your sincerity or your effort. Mercy that is earned is not mercy at all. And so what what, what Jesus does by putting this window in front of them is he is inviting this man to remember Exodus 33. Exodus 33, God has a name. He says this, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name, the Lord, Yahweh, before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I am full of mercy, and I give it as I please. I will not be bartered into it. I will not be bullied into it. I will not be manipulated into it. You will not work for it. You will not earn it. I will give mercy freely because I'm a God full of it. And it's for you. It's for you. That's powerful, guys. Mercy that's not earned, mercy that's given freely. Now, obviously that causes some pain because we're like, well, where's my mercy? Where's my mercy? Which is the gap between our wisdom and God's. And for the life of me, I wanna, I wanna fill that gap with, with control, <laughs> you know? I want to explain away the tension and I can't. But we fill the gap with faith. We say, God, I, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand it fully. What I know is that you're not out there in heaven playing roulette with people's lives. By effort, they're going to get it. But I know you're not doing that. And so I say, praise to you, king of glory who is full of mercy. Mercy in spite of us is the hope and power of the gospel and so he's putting this window in front of them furthermore he the window is saying i don't want you to just experience like 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 my hand i want you to encounter my heart we know this to be true because he finds him at the end and he has a conversation with him and this guy still doesn't get it he still doesn't get it but nevertheless jesus has invited him to go beyond just experiences of god's Power in healing, but his presence and wholeness come know me deeply. That's love. Jesus's words to this man are full of mercy, truth, and love. This man's response, it's the mirror. Notice this, this is the mirror. He says this, sir, Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but when I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. So this is why we can learn from this. Again, this is a scenic route to personal brokenness, but this is why we could learn from this because there is a clear physical impairment. But we also know because of Jesus's words, there's, there's a more comprehensive healing that he's after. That's not just physical, it's something going on in the soul and it's how he's related to God practically. And, and what that means for us is we could learn from this. Think about this. Jesus's words to him were, do you want to be well? And what is, what is, what is, what is jumping out is not this eagerness. Like, gonna, you, you want to you wanna help me? What is jumping out is excuses. It's excuses. He is reflecting for all of us something that should sober us and terrify us. It's attached, not necessarily just to physical brokenness per se, but spiritual, emotional, relational brokenness, personal brokenness. And it is the comfort with dysfunction. He's exposing the comfort with dysfunction, which is a fruit of despair. And it comes out in cynicism. It comes out in frustration. It comes out with trying to explain and excuse away why things can't change. It's the comfort. All of us fall privy to that. We're all susceptible to it. And time doesn't do us any favors. When you're in a situation for so long, where you've been operating in one way for so long, it becomes so normal that you can't see past it. All of us do that. And we adapt to things that we're not supposed to adapt to. The comfort with dysfunction that this man is exhibiting, all of the reasons why it can't happen. Is that you today? There's a mirror in front of you that's been in front of you for a very long time. And your issues are staring right back at you and they're sobering you, they're scaring you, they're frustrating you, but you've just adapted. Is that you today? Maybe it's not natural brokenness. Maybe it's your actual sin. And it's staring at you and it's crushing you and it's condemning you, but you've just adapted. But you know what happens when we adapt to that type of brokenness? Sin? Psalm 32 happens. We waste away from the inside out. Hope is corroded by despair. Joy is depressed and sadness seizes us. Is that you today? If that's you today, if that's you tomorrow, I want you to own it. Don't merely acknowledge it, own it. Because it is in the ownership of brokenness that we really are able to experience the fruit of God's words to us well. I've been meditating on this, and the thing that just keeps dropping into me, right, is like no person or situation is beyond a word or a touch from Jesus, whether it's physical or spiritual in nature. Psalm 147 3 shows us he heals the broken hearted and bandages their wounds. You are not beyond a word or a touch from the Lord. And you don't have to flip open your Bible to find it. The way we understand this text is that God found this man. And if you're here right now, God has found you and he wants to heal you in a powerful, unique, and personal way. All of us. Here's the pivot to community. It, I mean, it freaks me out. It freaks me out. The way God often binds personal wholeness and healing to community involvement. This is why the value that we say is we become more whole as we experience the benefits of being known. It's, it's, it's both a claim and a value. It's a faith claim. God binds, he binds certain experiences of healing and personal wholeness to community involvement. Which means that this word or the touch that you're looking for, maybe it's going to come through the community that you're involved in. Let me make that plain. This is James 5.16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. You see that? He's saying, hey, there's, there's something happening in you that's showing up in your life and I want you to be free from it, but the way you're gonna find freedom and flourishing and wholeness is not by hiding it. It's not by pretending it's not there. It's not by not taking it into account. You want to find freedom and wholeness from it? You go share it with somebody else. And you pray. And then you will be healed. what actually matters in that case. Furthermore, this is Galatians chapter 6. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is love. It's left rooted in the truth of who God is. The truth where we can experience profound mercy and healing and shalom and life and all of the rich blessings attached to knowing God. And you want to fulfill it, you carry one another's burdens. Implication is I'm actually bringing my burdens to the table. That I'm not pretending like it's not weighing me down. Implication is that I'm so involved in the lives of other people, I can actually see it's a burden. Oftentimes, especially as adults, we feel like there's no second chances for first impressions, and I get it. And there's some truth there, so we walk on our tiptoes, and we don't want to make mistakes, and we want to hide what makes us broken. You know, and, and it's like because if we don't, you won't really accept me. And it's and and doing that, it's like man, it just actually keeps us from what God would have for us, yo. No, take into account how your brokenness and your sin may be shaping your experience of community where you are more suspicious, where they just forgot to call you, edit, or they meant they didn't mean to bump into your show. And it's all of this stuff. You take into that account, yes. But also bring your full self, man. We need you, all of us. This leads to the application that's just been from me, um, in our ecosystem of care, I feel like there's a component that is missing. Personally, right now, understandably so, there's various components in the ecosystem of care to produce wholeness in an individual, and and one of the components that I'm glad is finally here is therapy. Praise God for that. In Jesus' name. My concern, though, can I, as somebody also who has a background in therapy, is a concern that often what I've seen is that we have allowed therapy to stand over Jesus. And I'm like, wait a sec. You do need a therapist. Amen. But you also need, you need a community. Fam, that's not trauma. Some of our trauma often does show. Some of you are just tired. And you're not yourself when you're tired. So you need to go lay down. Look to your neighbor and say, go lay down. Go lay down. Go lay down. right? Go to sleep. You already know where that's from. Amen. I love our church. Right? And, and so, so there's an ecosystem of care, and therapy definitely needs to be involved in it. You know what else needs to be involved in it? Community. Pastoral care needs to be involved in it. And the component that I feel is missing is prayer prayer needs to be involved in it because there's a God who is able. We are the products of the prayers of other people. Kendrick Lamar, in his Pulitzer winning album, Damn, he has a couple of songs that are very interesting and fascinating. And one of them, two of them actually, but one particular, he talks about this idea that ain't nobody praying for me, so now I'm on your head, element. And what essentially he's saying is, Prayer has been removed. My grandma's no longer with me. So prayer has been removed. And because prayer has been removed from me, who knows what happens next? He is right. He is right. There's a power to prayer that would God just sit on us. And when we see brokenness in other people, maybe our first step isn't a conversation with them. It's a conversation with God for them for them, praying for people, not just about them. Do you see the difference? That I I would look at you and I would see you beyond what is breaking you and I would take you to the very throne of God and say, God, they are worth something in your eyes. They should be worth something to me. And so I am going to pray that you step in for them, power, praying for them and for yourself. God, I am going to surround myself in this ecosystem of care with necessary dynamics, and I am not going to remove the most effective one, which is prayer. Because even if it doesn't immediately change the circumstance or eventually change the circumstance, what I know is if I press forward in prayer as it relates to brokenness and being whole is I will be changed in some shape, form, or fashion. And if I am changed, that will change the way I interact with everyone else and the circumstances around me. Would we reclaim that? If Jesus is staring at you right now and saying, do you want to be made well? Please don't give him excuses. I know despair is a monster. The right response is yes. Yes, God, I do. And an the action is a touch or a word. All right, let's go. And it may be instantaneous, like, like that. Or it may be progressive. It may be in a supernatural, you didn't see it come in. You're, you were broken. Or it may be in a supernatural, invading and ordinary thing like friendship and community. But we praise God for both. And we pray consistently for both as well. And that's the space in which we close now. In prayer. Father, be with us. For those who are physically impaired and they feel like they're a burden, just grab them with with compassion and love. Above all else, grab them with compassion and love. But God, we ask in faith. That you would be mighty and heal, please. For those who just the weight of life is just on them and, and there's brokenness that is presenting itself regularly. It's 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 dysfunction. It's dysfunction. Things aren't working the way that they should. God, step in with power. Would you wrap wrap your arms around us with compassion? And speak words of life. We need a touch and a word. We're not beyond it. And you are not beyond giving it. And so would we see ourselves as candidates for tremendous healing in your arms, please? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.